Hello and welcome to the history of Vikings. Medieval Scandinavians and other Germanic peoples celebrated a holiday called Yule during the time of year when days became longer and winter was at its peak. What was this holiday and how was it celebrated? Do we have surviving evidence for what happened at Yule celebrations during the Viking Age? In today's holiday-themed episode, I'm joined by Dr. Terry Gunnell, Professor Emeritus of Folkloristics at the University of Iceland and returning podcast guest. Dr. Gunnell was kind enough to answer my call for his expertise when it comes to the winter holiday of Yule. Be sure to check out his previous interviews on the history of Vikings, which are the episodes titled Norse Mythology and a Pantheon of Gods and Historical Worship of the Norse Gods. Before we get into my conversation with Dr. Gunnell, I want to tell you that you can now support the History of Vikings on Patreon as a way to support this podcast. Hosting this show is my greatest passion in life, and your help makes all of this possible. Follow the link in the description of this episode, or go to patreon.com slash historyofviking. I'm beyond grateful for any support. And if you join at the Odin tier, I'll mail you a physical copy of my book, Viking Warrior vs. Frankish Warrior, Frankia 799-911, which was published by Osprey. Fully illustrated, the book assesses the warriors fighting on both sides during the Vikings' attack on the Frankish realm in the 9th century as raiding escalated into full-scale siege warfare. I'm so grateful for any support at patreon.com slash history of Viking. I'd also like to let you know about my friend, Philip Lufolk, a Swedish blacksmith offering hand-forged Norse goods at lufolk.com. That's L-U-F-O-L-K dot com. With the holiday season in our midst, Lufolk invites you to step into the enchanting world of Yule, a time-honored Norse festival steeped in history by checking out their Yule gift boxes for the Viking enthusiast in your life. Visit my friend Philip Lufolk at lufolk.com, L-U-F-O-L-K dot com, for premium quality hand-forged Norse goods. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Terry Gunnell. Dr. Terry Gunnell, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Nice to be back with you again. Good to see you. It's good to have you, Dr. Gunnell, and I'm very excited um, that you've joined us for today's holiday-themed episode about the winter holiday of Yule, widely requested by listeners. My first question is, where do we get this idea of an event called Yule from? Certainly the word word Yule. was in English, Y-U-L-E, and in, in uh, Icelandic, Y, it's, it's J-O-L, Jól, and in Scandinavia, Jól. Um This word is very, very old. We find find this back in, uh, it's going to be um, prior, a long time before Christianity comes along. It's a certain time of the year. It's mentioned, for example, in Anglo-Saxon sources when they're going through the names of the months. Um, and there, too, we... we have mentioned of a period called Yule. 
Um, so so uh, as, as a word, certainly it's been there from, from a very early time. The meaning of it isn't, isn't really very clear. Um, some people, there's a lot of different ex- suggestions for it. Uh, some people suggest that it's connected to, the, to one of Odin's names, for example, which is very unlikely. Um, another suggestion, which I think makes a lot more sense, is that it might be connected to the, to the word hjol, which means wheel. Um, and if you go to the north of Scotland, you find around this period traditions of rolling, burning wheels down, down uh, mountain, down hillsides at this time of the year. And that's to do certainly with the, with the turning of the year. Um, and, and this is really what Yol is about. And essentially, um, if we look back, back at it, it, it's based on its roots are in another festival a few days earlier which is the 21st of December, which is the midwinter. And we can be pretty certain that there were four main festivals in the year. One would have been midwinter. Another one would have been around the period of Halloween, which was uh, which is the beginning of winter. And then we have uh, the end of winter or the beginning of summer um, in, in around the period, something getting close to Easter. And then we have midsummer. Um, and essentially, as you as you hear uh, from what I'm saying here, we're dealing with two main seasons rather than four, when it comes down to it. But these are very these are all very old festivals, both within Scandinavia and within Ireland, for example. Um, the same sort of idea of a beginning, the year beginning in late October, early November at Halloween, Savan in in uh, Celtic, and then. Uh, yeah, beginning and ending at that at that time of the year, rather than in January as we have at the moment. Um, Christianity then had an effect on all of this, and Christianity, we are told in uh, at least one one of the sagas called Algrip, which is a sort of history of one of the of the Norwegian kings, directly describes how Oliver Tryggvason, the king of Norway, who was one of the early Christian kings, deliberately changed midwinter into Christmas changed the beginning of winter um, or the winter nights into Halloween, All Hallows, both of them connected with the dead. And then Easter um, with the idea of birth as the sun sort of returns um, in the, the beginning of summer and then midsummer as well. Where often we have uh, so, so midsummer turned into St. John's Eve and the beginning, the beginning of summer turns into sort of the Easter period. So yes, yeah, so this this is the the background of of, of how we get to have um, the big festival of Yule being associated with the twenty fifth. More likely, it didn't have a, a, an exact date um, to do with the twenty fourth or twenty fifth initially. Generally speaking, why would an ancient or medieval people celebrate a holiday during this time of year when winter was at its peak? What is what does that mean? Well, if you're, if you're sitting here in Iceland at the moment looking out of the window as I'm doing, there's a lot of darkness outside, and we're not even there in the worst yet. It's, it's now starting to get dark here at about four in the at four in the afternoon, and starting to it's getting light at about ten in the morning, and it's going to get darker and darker. So, really, um, the midwinter is the darkest period of the year, and certainly for those living in Scandinavia. Many of them living in the fjords, for example, in Norway, they wouldn't have seen the sun for a long time and they won't see it again until it comes back later on. So this is a period where you're always hoping at least that the sun will return. 
Um, and we hear about very early festivals um, described in, in uh, I think it's a Greek account, describing how people in, in the north in Skanda or somewhere, or Scandinavia, would go up to the top of the mountains to look out for when the sun is going to return. So the sun was very, very important. We see it also in Bronze Age um, rock carvings, for example, and the Gotland stones. There's a lot of stress on the sun, the importance of the sun. And, and we can understand that, of course, with the growth of the soil and everything else. So this is the time when the sun is really at its lowest. And, and you're hoping that it's going to start rising again. And you're also hoping quite desperately that your food stocks are going to survive. Um, so the last thing you want is extra people appearing all of a sudden. Have you got enough food in at the, at the beginning of, before winter comes? So it's a time of celebration that at last the sun is beginning to come back. So it's the return of the sun, if you, in a sense you can, argue, uh, you can argue. It's a time of changing a little bit, the same as, as we get in midsummer, which is also a time of changing and you suddenly get a feeling that winter is going to start coming. But that means at the same time, all times of changing tend to be what we call liminal times, times between worlds, when the doors between different worlds open up, um, the, the, bled, the, the dead and the living blend together. It's a time, even now you find people in Scandinavia going out to churchyards and lighting up candles. It's time to think about the dead um, as much as anything else. I understand. So yes, it, yeah. it's, this is a, it's a time of change uh, going on, uh, and it's also, which means it's also a time where you hear about connections with the nature spirits and the gods and things of this kind. Now, I understand Yule was celebrated, uh, Dr. Gunnell, by certain Germanic peoples. Do we believe that Vikings, which uh, a definition for the sake of our conversation is to say medieval Scandinavians, also observed the holiday? Without any question. It, it, it was there before the Viking period starts in we talk about sort of 890 roughly and ending in about 10, 1066, that sort of period. Um, definitely. They, they were well aware of, um, as I say, a midwinter festival, um, which was worth celebrating with, with alcohol, with food, with partying, and other sort of traditions that we get later on of, of going around in, in masks, sort of masking traditions, trick and treating, things of this kind. Yeah which we can come back to later on. And then as Christianity starts blend coming in, then the church, of course, had taken over. Um, one of the things that, well, that we know that we know the church did, we have, there's nothing in the Bible saying exactly when Jesus was born or, or when Jesus, Jesus died even. Um, so the church takes the, the element of, of the birth um, as when the sun comes back. In a sense, we hear in a number of Anglo-Saxon, in one particular Anglo-Saxon account, of a letter from the Pope to a bishop in the north of the country, in north of Europe, saying to him, "Don't try and wipe out their traditions and their festivals and their place of worship. Instead, change it, rename it. Um, it's much quieter, less problem if you if you if you just change their festivals into something um, Christian." So they can really go on doing the same thing, um, but it's now regarded as being Christian. And we know this happened really all the way over Europe and, and elsewhere in the world, that fest previous festivals are replaced with Christian festivals. So yes, they would certainly have been there. Uh, and and uh, there's, a, there's a number of 
traditions that we hear about from this period. That segues nicely into my next question. Was Yule celebrated in medieval Iceland? I think uh, what, what's what's clear, as I say, is is drinking. Um, that that drinking of beer, which we still get in Scandinavia, the, the, the really all, all over Northern Europe. In fact, the idea of seasonal beers, and this was really part of um, Norwegian law that that new ale had to be made for um, Halloween and I'm pretty certain Christmas too. Um, and and this is replaced. And of course, we see nothing about ale in the Bible anywhere. So this was um, the drinking of ale, the uh, swearing of uh, particular oaths and toasts in the names of particular gods, which of course has been replaced by the idea of the New Year resolution, things of this kind. Um, yes, and then we can expect sacrifice of some kind, and of course. To a certain extent, we have the remains of that still as we leave out, uh, as people leave out cookies and drink for Santa Claus as he comes by. This you, you, you find very deeply rooted in Scandinavian folklore in later times, the idea of having a Christmas table and it's left out there for the nature spirits when they come and visit. Um, and in a sense, what, what's, what's going on here partly is, let's say the big festival initially was the beginning of winter. Then this is the Halloween festival. But as Christianity comes in, many of the things from that beginning of the year festival are moved to the Christian beginning of the year. Um, and certainly this idea of prophesying who's going to live and who's going to die at this particular period. In Scandinavia, we find so many traditions um, where people are checking is, is the is the hay underneath somebody's seat in the shape of a cross? If so, they're likely to die. Is a candle wow. burning and the wax running towards you at the table, you're likely to die. A very cheerful festival. <laughs> um, <laughs> and other people going out and looking out for ghosts and things of this kind at that time. Um, so we have, we have to imagine sort of a blending. And this, this is... Uh, confused in later times a lot more as Christ Christmas actually gets moved um, as, as, as in the 1500s as we moved from the Gregorian calendar, which was getting very bit behind. So Christmas Day had by that time moved um, or midwinter had moved back to the 13th of December, um, which they still called uh, 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 Long Night, Lucy Long Night, Lucia. And so they had to cut a number of days off the year um, to to bring in the to bring in the Gregorian calendar instead, um, which has resulted in a number of festivals and traditions which are associated with the old Christmas and the new Christmas. But that's a little bit later than Viking period. But yes, um, but there, there's there are definite festivities, and of course, in terms of sacrifice, blood would have been relatively central at this time. Um, but a, a, a matter of celebration of some kind that we've reached the darkest point. Now, hopefully we're coming back down the mountain um, at this point, and hopefully we're going to make it until the sun properly comes up. And I can actually can do we... I continue with this. <laughs> Sorry. Please. I just, yeah. I can just continue. Please, um, absolutely. What, what one, what we also hear of a number of traditions, and I want to go later on into the idea of a, of a year divided into male and female, which we can come back to. Because Christmas, yeah is often associated with female figures in both the Celtic world and the Ice and the Scandinavian world. But um, of course we're dealing 
initially with a lot of variation uh, of traditions and beliefs across the, the Nordic world, the Germanic world. So we can expect different gods to have been important in different places at different times. But one thing we do hear about sometimes is uh, that the associations of phrase game or phrase lekut, phrase play, Afraid was one of the three big gods in Scandinavia, Odin on one side, Odin, Thor, and then Freyd, who was mostly associated with Sweden in particular. And some people have suggested that uh, forms of dramatic, a form of early drama, ritual drama was performed at Christmas time, and that this, this is the phrase play that they're talking about, which tells about the fertility god, Freyd, um, with the help of a friend of his who, who travels for him, gets together with um, a Jürgen who's uh, associated with the earth, and in a sense, a, um, a hero's gamos um, ritual marriage between between the sun and, and the earth. And there is one one um, ancient Eddic poem, which is written completely in dialogic form, which tells about this wooing of uh, the earth by the sun, by the sun god, which is certainly worth taking a look at. And we've at some point done an experiment with trying to put this play on in midwinter at some point. But yes, so there's a, there's a range of things that might be associated. And certainly in much later times, there's a lot of traditions going on in Scandinavia involving dressing up in costumes and going between houses, often wearing horns. The figure of the Christmas goat is very central. Anybody who's been to IKEA stores will find the goat everywhere. And right. we know that across Scandinavia, people used to dress up as the Christmas goat uh, and go around farms wearing a, a sort of cotton animal costume. There's a supernatural figure that comes around and demands uh, with his helpers, demands food and drink to take back with him. In a, in a, in a sense, a sort of sacrifice of food. Um, and of course, if, you, if, you, if any of us go to take a look at Germany, Austria, Switzerland, you find exactly the same traditions at exactly the same time of a horned, beastie figure that comes around and visits houses. Sometimes in Austria, people have taken this, suggested that this figure who sometimes comes around with St. Nicholas has to be the devil, but it's much older than that. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a sort of supernatural figure uh, um, and is associated with the idea of lots of legends of the supernatural being around at this time of the year. And in Norway, it was. If we quickly have a look at that idea, um, which would certainly have applied to Iceland as well, in the summertime, that's when people send their sheep and their cows up into the mountains, and they have mountain dairies. As soon as uh, we get into September, October, they have to get out of the mountain dairies and get back into town um, because the spirits are taking over. And as we start coming closer to Christmas, then more and more ideas of the spirits coming closer and closer onto the farm. In Iceland, it's summed up by the idea of the Christmas men who one by one come down from nearby mountains and leave little presents in the window of children. So, of course, this is something that's been developed into later times, but their names are 
things like uh, sausage swiper, for example, meat hook. <laughs> they want food. They want to steal yeah. rather than actually giving in more recent times. And in Norway, certainly on Christmas Day, in many areas, people just didn't dare go outside at all because of spirits coming down from the mountains and being outside, which is associated with the wild ride, which I think you were talk- thinking of talk- taking up later on, and we can come back to. Yeah. But all of this echoes, of course, darkness and snow and everything coming closer and closer, and then starts yeah. opening up again. Yeah. If, if I may ask, Dr. Ganelka, just because you've mentioned it several times, you know, this this concept of nature spirits or or land spirits or some sort of uh, spiritual manifestation occupying geographic topographical locations. What what exactly was that? You know, what did what did that right. mean to the Scandinavians? I think it's something that we see right from the settlement of Iceland and uh, right across Nordic folklore is this idea that we don't just have gods, but we also have what we call nature spirits. Um, figures which in Britain are more like the fairies, Britain and uh, in, in Ireland, for example, the fairies. In Iceland and Norway, they come to be the underground people, the underjordisk or the hundefolk or the huntre, the hidden ones, um, or the olivar is another word for them, elves, um, although they're nothing like our image of elves with ballet tutus and little Legolas <laughs> uh, ideas here. This is a different sort of thing. But these are spirits that are closely associated with your farm. Later folklore suggests they live just on the borders of the farm. And in a sense, when people were settling Iceland, there, there was a sense that they were moving on to the territory of the nature spirits who'd owned it before. They, they become tenants. And I think the general idea is that we're tenants on the land of the nature spirits, and we need to show them respect. When we are baking bread, making alcohol, things of this kind, you might leave out things uh, for the nature spirits and for the sometimes for the forefathers as well who are closely associated. So yes, um, and and they're very often associated with parts of the landscape, um, local landscape where people where they're believed to live. So this is the second level. Some people talk about um, uh, a sort of higher level of mythology and a lower level. These are often associated with the lower level, but they are they were clearly much more difficult to get rid of than the pagan gods in later times, um, because they're so much part of. Uh, daily life, in a sense. Uh, people yeah. trusted when they were trusted in their uh, agriculture and their making of food. They'd always been given help by these beings. You take the risk of throwing them away. Hence, we find beliefs in fairies and elves and, and dwarfs in some places going on right up into our own times in many areas, certainly Iceland and certainly the west of Ireland. So the church couldn't really get rid of them. Um, because they're so deeply rooted in daily life. And certainly Christmas time was very closely associated with them, say the forefathers and and then the nature spirits of the area. In Iceland, for example, we have it in one of the early laws that when people were coming to Iceland on their long ships, they should take off the dragon head uh, so that they wouldn't frighten away the nature spirits. Um, wow. And so this underlines the fact that in a sense you need them it also tells us what the dragon heads were about, uh, to something to protect you while you're at sea, but you don't want to frighten away the local spirits. You need them. That was that was brilliant, Dr. Canal. Thank you for that that segue. Do we know 
anything about what would occur at a Yule festival? Well, I think uh, essentially we're, deal- we're dealing with activities inside the house, private activities, very much like um, we see even nowadays, of course, mid summertime is a time of going outside, larger groups meeting up. Wintertime is definitely the time of the family. And in a yeah. sense, we, we can still see the ritual that's left in it, the idea of uh, the wine that you have, the same meal that you've always had, the memories of the people who used to be there, the questions, will the older people in the family still be there next year or not? And so even in our own little um, Christmas rituals, which we have, at least in Britain, and I think in the States, is is the morning of Christmas Day, isn't it? The main festival. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Scandin- Scandinavia, Germany, it'll be the night before. Uh, okay. It's, it's on Christmas Eve at six o'clock, which is, again, like I say, the, the year began in the autumn at the beginning of darkness. Uh, same thing with the way that people saw the day. So six o'clock was the beginning of the day. Hence the importance of New Year's Eve, New Christmas Eve, um, with Santa Claus coming around Christmas Eve and whatever. So the day began at six. That's where they, when they would have had their festival is on the the day before, in a sense, on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day. And essentially, it's a family thing. So it's going to be inside. As I mentioned, there's going to be um, food. We know in Scandinavia regularly this is the, the time of slaughtering, for example, a, a particular pig. Um, for the meal, uh, drinking, swearing of oaths, and maybe traditions connected with dressing up in costumes and acting, uh, taking on the role of the nature spirits, going around between houses and and trick and treating in one form or another. Um, so yeah, for, for the Christmas festival itself, yes, uh, and and the idea certainly of the Christmas table, um, which would have been out and left out with food. Uh, for a number of days throughout the Christmas period. Um, so Christmas nowadays certainly has this idea of roughly 12 days before Christmas uh, and 12 days afterwards, 12th night and things of that kind. And that's partly because of this messing around with Christmas in later times, um, with, with the the changing from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar. But it was certainly more than one day, a uh, well, one-day festival. Um it's, it's something that would have gone on for, for a few days without any question. We mentioned this, we alluded to it earlier. I know that there is a folklore motif known as the wild hunt. What was this and was it in any way connected with Yule? Very closely connected with Yule and certainly connected with the idea of the, the gates between worlds opening up at uh, a mid-period. And... If we look at the sagas, for example, then we have a number of accounts dealing with the supernatural and the period of midwinter or Christmas. Greta's saga, for example, we have a story um, of this big hero, Gretich, uh, who's, who's a strong man of, of uh, the Icelandic sagas. And uh, he hears that there is a farm which is being troubled every year by a ghost called Glamut which every Christmas comes in and takes over the farm. And nobody dares to be around the farm, around that farm at that time. They're, they're killed. Uh, if, if the people living on the farm go off to, to church or whatever else, they come back and the person looking after the farm is dead. So Gretich offers to move in and look after the farm. 
And then he has this huge fight with this Glaumud figure uh, and, and gets rid of it. And he actually has a number of uh, others. It's almost regularly, he has the role of Bruce Willis, basically, in Die Hard movies. When Christmas comes, he's got to fight Booglis. And the whole, the whole <laughs> Die Hard movie is uh, goes it's an echo, in a sense, of what's happening at Christmas. The same with On Alone, based on the same sort of idea that beasties move in and take over yeah. at Christmas time. And that same story we find with uh, Beowulf. Beowulf, the story of Beowulf and and um, Grendel, for example, is exactly the same, although it's not clearly associated with Christmas. But again, we have a beastie coming from the darkness, attacking the farm, taking people, going away again. Another version of that, so this was clearly well-known in the Anglo-Saxon world and in Scandinavia, and as I say, Gretchen is fighting sometimes berserk, sometimes even a polar bear at Christmas time. Um, but there's always a threat from outside. The, another early story comes in a saga called the the Edbiger Saga, the Saga of the People of Eire, which again deals with Christmas. And there we hear of people who are going to have a Christmas festival. They're going to have their drink and booze and whatever else. And very recently, a woman has died on the farm and they've and she told them don't take any of my things bury me in everything that i own and typically they took some of her best best textiles and then yeah. she all of a sudden just before christmas appears in the kitchen sort of making bacon and egg naked in the middle of the night which worries everybody when they get up and find the spirit back there also uh, before christmas a number of people have died of the plague and a number of other people who were going out fishing drown, and they're there uh, having having their um, a, a sort of uh, a wake for the people who've died. And then suddenly the door opens, and in come the the people who've drowned, walking into the room, dripping water all over the place. And they're followed by the people who are, who just died, who were in the graveyard. Who also move into the living room, and everybody again, as in the story of Gretchen, have to run out of the farm, uh, find somewhere else to live, and let, let the ghosts take over. So here we have again the idea of spirits coming from outside, taking over the place, and eating the food. And this goes on all the way through Christmas until they can manage to get somebody to come in, uh, a Christian figure, to come and get rid of these figures who seem to be having a food fight. The the the, the drowned ones are throwing water all over the people from the. Graveyard, the graveyard people are throwing mud back. Um, wow. And the farm's taken over. This sort of story uh, in Scandinavia, all over the place, um, we have the story of the wild hunt. And here we have two types of story. And I want to concentrate on the Norwegian one, which has nothing to do with uh, Olden, um, but basically tells how around Christmas time, um, People on farms hear a sound of noise of, of, of people riding horseback coming down from the mountains. And the Oskare, um, all of these people who are sometimes trolls, sometimes the dead, sometimes a mixture, who are led by um, a female figure called Gurun or Guru the, with the horse tail. Again, a figure that's half animal, half human, uh, led by a female figure. They come down and they take farms over. Uh, anybody who's caught outside is, is either left, uh, they're killed or they're taken with the ride to other parts of the country. They have to try and get themselves back. They have memories of distant places. 
Um, and again, in many places, people have to leave the farm at Christmas time and let the Oscarai take over. We know this is a living tradition because all over farms in, in Western Norway, we find tar crosses being put over the doorways of, of, of different buildings on the farm to protect people from the Oscarai. We hear stories about some guy who happened to still be outside in the bath there, uh, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of the farm, a sort of sauna, who came back home too late and he never returned and he's found in pieces the next morning. He's been ripped to pieces by the Oscarai. Now, there are, there are other stories in Germany and Denmark which tell more about Olden riding and chasing a, a major spirit. But the Western Norway, where the Icelanders come from, um, there certainly we have this idea of a, of a female figure. And Iceland itself, at Christmas nowadays, the key figure, along with these little Christmas men, uh, is a figure called Grilla, which means the growler. And she comes down from the mountains as well. And she is looking for children who are um, badly behaved children or children who are not well-dressed, and she'll eat them sushi, basically. She collects them in a bag and takes what? them away to eat them later on. And we find this same sort of idea connected with the Christmas goat in Scandinavia, a female goat coming around. And in Ireland, we have a figure called the Kayak, the, um, the old woman. So there's a number of elements here which are very interesting in the sense that we're getting female figures associated with Christmas. The beginning of winter is a festival of women. Um, that, that's, that's a period when the Desit, another set of nature spirits, come onto the farm. And we have there another saga which tells about a man who is happens to go outside when the female figures riding on horseback are coming onto the farm from outside. He's killed, he's ripped to pieces. Scandinavia, we have the end of winter. That's another figure associated with the Desit. But midwinter, definitely female figures. And these figures are often associated with the dead, with the underworld, with the Valkyries, with the um, the world of death, which is quite understandable if we think about it, because um, and this this is an argument that's essentially um, an argument that I've been putting forward. So this this is not fact, but there's a number of things that suggest that this this applied to a number of people. That, uh, in a sense, winter time is the time when people move into the house, uh, into the big farmhouse, the the Viking hall, yeah. which was controlled by women. Women had the keys of the house. They looked after the slaves. They looked after the the everything going on inside. Summertime, on the other hand, is the time of men. That's the time of going trading, warfare, and and travel of this kind, uh, raiding. And, uh, and harvesting, cutting down, slaughtering um, the hay. The wintertime, on the, on the other hand, is the time when the growth of the soil is going on in the dark, under the ground, out of sight. And if we think almost in a sense of pregnancy, um, out of sight within the woman. And if yeah. we think about death and life in nature being closely associated with each other, we tend in our own world to look at death as an ending, but in nature... It's out of death comes life. Out of the dead leaves comes life. And so yeah. in a sense, we can see here how women might have been associated both with endings and beginnings, um, which which we often find in connection with women anyway, that they're the ones who look after death. 
and they're the ones who give birth in the same way. So I've been suggesting in a sense that for some people, the world might have been divided and that we've got vestiges of this idea of a male part of the year and a female part of the year. And the Christmas period would have been then the period associated with female figures earlier on, and then maybe male figures later on be taking over as we get, of course, with Christian Christmas. These are very long answers. I'm very, so very sorry about this. No, no. Uh, this is uh, fascinating, Dr. Gunnell. Was there a relationship between Yule and the Christianization of Scandinavia? Did the Norse cease to celebrate the holiday as rulers began adopting the Christian religion? No, essentially, as, as I was saying before, that, that, that Christianity basically took over festivals that were there. Um, so in a sense, people could, could quite easily go on from celebrating their midwinter festival as part of a Christian festival, um, in, in a sense, as I've said before, the element of giving things to the spirits and whatever else at the time. So yeah, it, it was easy. They could simply go on doing what they, were, what they used to be doing, as they do with Halloween um, and, and uh, the, the winter nights or Savan and, and these other festivals, mid, Midsummer, yes, St. John's, St. St. John's Day. Easter, same thing. Um, so yeah, no, no problem with with, with um, following through. And that's why we find, in a sense, vestiges of the pagan running through our modern festivals. Be yeah. it even with horned figures, as I say, goats in Scandinavia. We've got reindeer later on. We have a figure that visits houses uh, at certain times or groups of figures who visit houses at certain times, sometimes in disguise. Um, the, the idea of eating a special meal together at the table, drinking together, making uh, resolutions for the next year. These are all very ancient things. And of course, the Romans had the Saturnalia as well, where things were turned inside out, a time of, um, a time of misrule of this uh, period. Dr. Gunnell, this has been a fascinating conversation, and thank you for agreeing to, to come on the show. For listeners wanting to learn more about the holiday of Yule, what historical sources would you recommend they explore? Sure. Um, I think if, we, if we're looking at the Viking period, um, the best book to get hold of, and it's expensive, um, is the, are the main four volumes of the pre-Christian religions of the North, um, which was edited by John Lindau and Anders Andrian and the Anspeter Schott. Um, this is a, the best collection of, of uh, examinations by a lot of authors of, of um, the pre-Christian world in, in Scandinavia. Um, in terms of stories, as I've mentioned, the, the Eirebyggia saga, the saga of the people of Eire, um, has this wonderful ghost story um, from Christmas. The saga of Gretir has that fight between Gretir and this, this ghost which takes over the farm. Um, if you're interested in traditions of people dressing up in costumes and going around at Christmas time, you can get this book for free um, as a PDF, which is called uh, oh, wow. Masks and Mumming in the Nordic Area, which is looking at later, later traditions of dressing up in costumes. And you can see some of the Scandinavian figures here in their masks yeah. um, from, from the Christmas period. Brilliant. And, uh, for folk... It's just various collections of folk tales. Jacqueline Simpson's 
um, ice, uh, Icelandic folk, folk, folk uh, legends, folk tales and legends, and Scandinavian. Um, another book of Scandinavian uh, f- folk legends and belief, I think, by by Ray, uh, Raymond Quiedeland and Henning Semsdorf. This uh, um, and as you'll hear, what I've been doing here is blending later folklore and earlier traditions because this is. Clearly, here we see a connection between our later our later traditions and much much earlier things, um, because the old these old uh, roots were so deeply rooted they didn't go away; they stayed with us. So, from the from these at least, you can get quite a good picture. One other book that might be of interest um, is this book here by Ronald Hutton called "The Stations of the Sun," which is a history of the ritual year in Britain. Uh, this is the, this is looking at the early festivals in in England. Um, so yeah, that should get people going. There's enough to be re- re- books to buy for Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dr. Terry Ganahl, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was a real treat. Um, I'm so grateful that we got to include you in this special holiday episode. And thank you so much again, sir, for coming on the show. My pleasure. A good Christmas, all of you. Thank you for listening to the history of Vikings. If you've enjoyed today's show and would like to support the podcast, please consider doing so by supporting the History of Vikings on Patreon. Follow the link in the description of this episode or go to patreon.com slash history of Viking. I'm beyond grateful for any support. And if you join at the Odin tier, I'll mail you a physical copy of my book, Viking Warrior vs. Frankish Warrior. Frankia 799-911, which was published by Osprey. I'd also like to remind you to visit my friend and Swedish blacksmith, Philip Lufolk, at lufolk.com. That's L-U-F-O-L-K.com. With the holiday season in our midst, Lufolk invites you to step into the enchanting world of Yule, a time-honored Norse festival steeped in history, by checking out their Yule gift boxes for the Viking enthusiast in your life. Visit my friend, Philip Lufolk, at lufolk.com, that's L-U-F-O-L-K.com, for premium quality, hand-forged Norse goods. Thank you so much again for listening. Please join us here again for another episode. 